Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we are talking about navigating friendships in sobriety. And I know this is a topic that so many of you have written to me and asked about. And I wanted to address it because it's one of the biggest fears that stop women from taking a break or quitting drinking. Most of us who drink a lot surround ourselves with other drinkers. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your group of girlfriends. That was definitely true for me. I was in a big drinking group and it's challenging to stop drinking and navigate those social occasions. And also it's challenging to meet other friends who don't drink. So my guest today is Kim Kearns. She's been on the podcast before. We talked about our first holiday season not drinking. So I will link to that in the show notes. You may know her. She's the author of On the Edge of Shattered, A Mother's Experience of Discovering Freedom Through Sobriety. Kim is a podcast host, a podcast writer, and a featured speaker. 
and she's proudly sober. She's a wife to an incredible husband and a mother to three beautiful children. She lives in the suburbs of Boston and tells her story of sobriety to inspire others every day on her Substack, her blog, and her Instagram accounts. She hosts the Weekend Sober podcast and was head writer for Season Betsy of the Webby Award-winning narrative podcast, Fucking Sober, The First 90 Days. She's also the founder of Sober in the Suburb, a community outside of Boston. Writing has always been an escape for Kim, even as a little girl, and I am so glad you're here. Thank you. That was a long intro. Kind of annoyingly long. I should trim that. (laughs) No, it's totally cool. Well, I had you on for the first time. We connected with each other because you went to a small liberal arts school in Maine, and I went to a small liberal arts school in Maine, which unfortunately has been in the news this week because there was a mass shooting in the town I went to college in, in Lewiston, and all the students are locked down multiple days later because of the uh, manhunt, which sucks. It's awful. And I've been in touch with so many of my college friends recently just because that obviously we've been talking about it. And that's been cool. But I know when I was in college, I was a member of the women's rugby team. I was a huge drinker, like keg stand, big drinker and blackouts and, you know, all the things. And you were a big drinker in college, too. Yep. So I went to Colby, you went to Bates. And um, first off, I did, I was thinking about you when I heard the news. And yeah. it was, when I actually, yeah, I definitely thought about you. So um, very scary. And I'm sorry. But yes, back to our drinking stories. Yes, we do have the um, small NESCAC rural drinking in the, you know, boonies of Maine um, history in common, right? Literally got- nothing else to do, like Literally. play sports and go to cake parties. Yeah. And it was cold for many months. I think it started, it was, there's, you know, many times there was snow on the ground by this time of year, snowed in April, May. It was cold up there. So we just drank and drank to the point of blacking out and and dark. Yes. Cold and dark. Yeah. By the way, I cannot, one of I can't regret things in my life because obviously it was fun and I made a ton of friends and my path led me to my husband and my kids and my life, which I love. But like, why the fuck didn't I go to school in like California or North Carolina? My son is looking at colleges right now and I'm like, dude, no offense to anyone, like do not go to North New England. Like life is short. We wore log underwear under our formal dresses, and, like stripped in the like coat room. I mean, really? Yes, it got dark. No, back to that point. Like, I'm still thinking about how it get dark at like two o'clock in the afternoon. Like, what the hell? It was so miserable and cold. I mean, I love Maine. It's beautiful. And as soon as it got nice, I mean, the summers are gorgeous. Acadia National Park is incredible. As soon as it got nice, we were gone. Yeah, I know. We never got to enjoy the actual beauty of Maine. And so Lewiston, I'm so ha- sorry. I'll say one more thing. I'm so sorry it happened. And I have so many wonderful memories of the people there. But we used to fucking go to Walmart for a good time. That's how sad it was. Like we would drive 40 minutes 
to where L.L. Bean was because it was open for 24 hours at a time and like hang out with the t- in the tents. So I drank a lot in college, but, you know, you probably don't think I'm anywhere near as cool anymore now that you've heard that. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, that is where, well, my drinking story started before Colby. I, you know, started drinking in high school and, um, you know, on theme with what we're talking about today, I always drank to fit in with the social scene. It was, um, you know, the gateway to connecting with others and finding friends. And um, that started at a very young age. And I grew up in Connecticut, you know, went to parties in the backyards of my friends' houses and their pool houses and, um, you know, snuck booze from our parents' liquor cabinets and replaced it with water. You know, I started doing that at a very young age, the age of 14. And that continued all through high school, headed to Colby, work hard, party hard mindset with um, some incredible friends. Like you said, friends that I still talk to today have on a group chat on a you know group text that we talk every single day. Um, wonderful friends. But, um, you know, we all drank a lot. And, you know, I, I felt like I always surrounded myself with people that drank similarly to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I continued that sort of party hard mentality past Colby, where many as many of my friends and my spouse, my husband, who I met at Colby, they slowed it down. I did not. Um, I didn't think there was any reason to. I kept drinking. I, I thought there was no reason to drink unless I was getting drunk. So that was how I drank. That was a good time. Yeah, that was, you know, if I was going to, I was just having this conversation with somebody yesterday, if we were going to have a beer at lunch on a Saturday, like, why would you have one? You know, like I drank to get drunk. And um, if we were watching a football game or something, that was silly to just sip on a beer. So that was always what I did. And I loved being social, being around people and, and alcohol made me feel more comfortable in my skin. And I um didn't realize it at the time, but I was, you know, in my twenties, super, um, anxious and and had that social anxiety and found that comfort through alcohol, um, hanging out with my peers and friends and in social gatherings. But I think what kept me in this, um, cycle of drinking and and struggling with alcohol for so many years through my thirties was ultimately the concern of what my friends would think if I stopped drinking and how it would be perceived by others if I were to stop and quote unquote be seen as somebody who was sober or in their eyes, somebody who quote unquote had a drinking problem that kept me in that place of sort of being caged and stuck for so many years. And I refuse to ever, um, you know, face my problem. So I instead tried to force myself to quote unquote, be a better drinker and keep alcohol in my life because I couldn't face ever being in this group of friends that I surrounded myself with in the town of Needham outside here, um, outside Boston with, uh, I couldn't imagine being part of this group as the one person that did not drink. Yeah. So, and you know, what's interesting. So I was also in a very big group of drinkers. I mean, I think that's super common. We would, you know, total 
mommy playdate drinking total. We're escaping our husbands and we're drinking, you know, and our kids. But also before we all became friends, when I first moved to Seattle, when I was like 25, 26, and all of the women were working, a lot of them were the primary breadwinner in their family, even though like all our husbands worked too. It was just, you know, these like, quote unquote, we thought we were these high powered working women who were super successful. I mean, lawyers and doctors and, you know, executives and whatever. And it was just how we operated. Um, I wasn't as scared of losing my friends because I honestly felt really, really close to them. And despite us all being huge drinkers, we have all gone through tons of shit together and talked about all the deep stuff. Like it wasn't social friends. It was like deep support friends, if that makes any sense. But I was, so I, I wasn't worried that they think I have, I would have a drinking problem. I was more worried about that with work colleagues, like with people who didn't know me or people who I met at the bus stop, but I had no idea how I would hang out with them. And I knew they would support me. I knew we would do different stuff, but like our annual stuff, I was like, oh my God, can I not go kayak camping anymore? Can I not go up to Whistler with them? How will we, you know, hang out at our, you know, with our kids? My kid was still two years old at the time. Like we used to have sleepovers where we drank a shitload. So I thought I'd be miserable. I thought I couldn't attend you know, and I honestly thought I would be like bored and boring and miserable. So like, I think that's interesting because we had different fears. It sounds like. Yeah, that is really interesting. I I mean, I definitely had, I had that fear as well. Like I had that fear that like, I wasn't going to have fun and I wouldn't know how to act. But I do think that my, yeah, my bigger fear was how would other people look at me? Yeah. I struggled in that regard my whole life. I was so concerned with how people looked at me and how people perceived me. And that concern of, yeah, what would what would people think of me? How would I um, represent myself? What would my identity be yeah. in my group? Because I was for so long the token party girl. I was the last, I was the first one at the party. And I brought the party and I was the last one to leave. And I didn't know myself as anything other than the girl who had fun and got drunk. And I didn't think that I could have fun without it. And so that kind of goes along with what you're saying. But oh my goodness, I was scared that people would think I was a bore. And I uh, love that we would like get blackout drunk and like throw up and all that stuff. And we would be like, Oh my God, if I stop drinking, people are going to think I have a problem. Like that in terms of how skewed your mentality is. No. Kind of hysterical, right? Oh, like I, I was always so blacked out. I was always so drunk. And I, I mean, falling down and giving myself a black eye and so bruised on Sundays. And yeah. And then. That's like, oh, I wonder what people would think of me if I stop. Think of me I if know. I stop drinking. Like, oh my God. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast 
this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. It's it's so funny. And then I don't know if you noticed this and let's talk about all this. I want to hear why, why you finally stopped even with those fears, how you told your friends what changed, how you made new friends. I mean, all the things. But I mean, I remember, and you know, my girlfriends would like, we would, you know, one of them who could walk to my friend's house, even when we were having our sleepovers and was going home, like my girlfriend would pour her a huge glass of wine and put saran wrap over the top for like a roadie while walking home when we were already shit faced. So that was insane. Not all of my friends, but say we had a group of 12. It was crazy to me to realize after I stopped drinking that like eight of the 12 um, did not drink like I did. You know, I mean, I knew I brought the party. I knew I, like you, was like the last one there, but I didn't realize because I was fucking blacked out that like maybe eight of them were not blacked out. Yeah. Um, I think that the, that is true. Yeah. Not everybody drank as much as me and I thought they were. Um, and I do think that 
they they did drink a lot and i and i i know that now because um my friendships have sort of gone like this um with some of those people that some friendships have gone a different direction yeah and that happened very quickly after i stopped because i think that um so when i stopped drinking i was very like i am with most things i dive right in i'm a doer i'm all or nothing and I knew that when I said those words to my husband, I've told this story many times that, you know, I woke up that morning, November 28th, 2020. I said to him, you know, what would you say if I, I said I had to stop drinking? And he said, all right, I, I will help you. I will do this. And I knew I had to hold myself accountable. So I started writing, but I also told some friends. I told a handful of really good friends, um, some of them from Colby that had known me for years. And some of them were my uh, newer mom friends that were from Needham and, you know, had kind of gotten to know me in the past few years, knew me only as, you know, the mom with the little kids who really liked her three o'clock wine at the playdates. But I needed them to know what I was doing because, um, as. So what did you tell them? Like, what was your presentation? Um, I called a couple of them and, and I said, I asked to go for a walk with one of them and I asked the other one to come over and I told both of them that, and these were people that I had sort of confided in before. Like I need to slow my drinking down. Um, Like my husband's really mad at me about what I did last night. Like, and these are people that, you know, we would, these are my friends that I would call on Sundays when I was having those shame spirals and I would, and they would make me feel better. Oh, you didn't drink that much. Oh, you're fine. Oh, I don't remember anything either, or, you know, like we would all kind of make each other feel better. Um, so they knew epic. Yes. So they knew that I had some rough days in my past and had, um, been worried in my past about my drinking. Um, I had confided in them, like, I need to drink less, you guys. Like, I just, I feel awful. And let's, I, I really need to like not drink Monday through Wednesday. Those are the people that knew sort of like, my inner thoughts. And so I had, I brought them over, went for walks with them and said, I'm going to stop drinking. Like, this is it. I'm done. And I don't think they necessarily believed me. Maybe they thought it was like those past conversations I'd had with them. Um, but I knew deep down I was done. So um, you knew you were done. Cause oh, I, I, knew. I was like, I'm going to take a hundred day break. Cause I couldn't even go four days. I knew this time was very different in the past when I had tried to, you know, do dry January, I knew that I wasn't done. Like I knew I was like, I'm going back. Like, there's no way. Um, there's no, I remember when I did dry January, I was like, there's no way I'm making it through this month, but I'll pretend to try. Um, you know, all those other times I tried to moderate, I knew that I wasn't going to ever quit. Like, and I, I knew that wasn't the final time, but this time there was a light bulb. There was something that went off. And like I said, like when I make a decision, I go all in and I don't, uh, there's just something about my personality that I, I knew there was no turning back. And also by telling these people this, I was holding myself accountable and I just didn't put it out there. And then like, I, now that I'm saying this, I can't go back on it. So, um, yeah, I told these friends and then I told a couple girls from Colby and they were, you know, for, at first very supportive, um, but again, like I said, the moms that um, that didn't know me as well and kind of our relationship was focused on drinking, 
we sort of started to grow apart very quickly. And I don't know if it's because my not drinking shined a light on their drinking, made them uncomfortable. Um, you know, that old story. <laughs> Everybody can relate to that. Yeah. Holding a mirror up to their relationship with alcohol. That was tough, I think. Um, I also really just isolated. You know, I think that a lot of people do that in early sobriety. I pulled away from them. They pulled away from me. I stopped getting invited to places, even though I would say to my husband, it's not like I want to hang out with them, but I want them to invite me so I can say no, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's like hurtful almost, or you have FOMO or what I mean, what did you tell me? What did you feel? Oh, it was all of the above. I was very hurt. I had FOMO, but I knew that if I were there, I would not be having the best time and I would be probably not. I wouldn't want to be there. So, but it was also hurtful that, yeah, it was just like a flurry of emotions. I had so many different feelings and much like in early sobriety, you know, on any given day, I was happy, sad mad, frustrated, you know, all of the things. And that's exactly how it was. I, I didn't, you know, like that brought up every emotion. Did you um, worry that they were talking about you behind yeah. your back? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that's what we did together. Yeah. That's our, when we hung out, we hung out around the kitchen island with a bottle of wine, gossiping about Whichever friend wasn't there, whichever friend wasn't able to make it to the play date, right? Oh my God. So like, that's not that cool, right? Right. No, it's awful. So I knew that they were likely talking about me. And one of my main goals in sobriety was to stop gossiping because yeah, was, you don't totally like yourself when you're doing yeah. Okay, so that's interesting to me because we took very different approaches and it sounds like we had different friends group, not in a judgy way, just in a actual way. Because most of my friends I'd known for like 15 years when I quit drinking. It just happened that we formed really early and we became this really tight group and we were like ridiculously loving on each other. Like, oh my God, you're amazing. Blah, blah, blah. If we talk shit, it was about our husbands <laughs> and about our bosses and about sometimes like just our parents and our siblings, but it wasn't about each other. And so well, you have some very good friends, I would say. I do. I was very, I, I would say my Colby friends, my, my good friends of like 15, 20 years were not like that, but I had some other friends that were a yeah, little more. I think that's the difference, right? Whether they are situational friends yeah. or kind of heartfelt friends. And a lot of my friends are very earnest in a very good way. And so, but also big drinkers. And so I also took a different approach when I stopped drinking, right? So I said, I'm doing a hundred day no drinking challenge. Now, for some of them, I was more honest. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there was no question that they knew I was worried about my drinking, like, picture seven years before I stopped drinking, we went up to Whistler, girls weekend, it was actually Mother's Day weekend. And apparently, of course, I was blacked out, I got completely shit faced and was crying and asking them if I they thought I was an alcoholic. So 
you know, they had some, you know, and of course I don't remember it at all. And then I did it the next night too. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. well, uh, but you know, drank with them for a good another many years. Um, yeah. so it was not a complete surprise, but at the same time, you know, it was like a hundred days. So I, you know, certainly had done, so I tried to avoid social events. I had to go to a few, like, one of my best friends flew in from Ohio for like one weekend, right? And I hadn't seen her in four years. I was like, all right, I gotta go to this. And I called my friend in advance and was like, okay, I'm not drinking. Even if I ask you, please do not give me any alcohol. Like, you know, don't let me do it. And I went there, I made it through an hour and a half. And then I turned to my friend and was like, oh, fuck it. I'll have a glass of wine. And she was like, no. And I was like, what are you? No, like she was like, no, I'm not doing it. And I was like, fuck, bitch. No, I'm kidding. I was like, <laughs> but so when we, when I stopped for a hundred days, we just altered what we did. Like we went on walks, we went to yoga, we didn't go out for happy hour, we did other things instead. And then by the time I got to a hundred days, we had eased into it, right? And I was stronger. I was yeah. way not strong, but stronger. So, and I'd made some sober friends like that period of time where I was not drinking, but also not seeing forever. I think it like with my husband, with myself, with my girlfriends, like eased us into, okay, she's still fun. But I do remember going, my very best friend who lives here, who I've known since I was 15, we were in boarding school together and our husbands are very good friends. I went on a hike with her when I was very sober and early. And I was like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like, I have no idea who I am. And I remember she said to me, she was like, I feel like I've finally gotten my best friend back. Like, you are the person you were at 16 and 17 who I loved. And I was like, you know, it just helped me. Yes, I I remember my good friend saying something very similar. She said something like, I love this version of you so much better than um, the drinking version of you. And yeah, that really opened my eyes to, uh, yeah, just the way. I don't have regrets about things I said when I was drunk. We weren't gossiping about each other, but like I shared shit that wasn't mine to share with other people in in our close group which my friends got mad at me about, you know, like a hundred, and they were there. Like I was just talking to someone else, you know? So that felt shitty. And also like one of my friends told me like, you're just not as nice or kind when you're drunk, you're harsh and a little bit mean. And I was like, yikes, you know? And she wasn't wrong. Like, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Wow. And to hear that, it's like, okay, like, fair, fair enough. Like, yeah. Defensive. If anyone said anything about my drinking, I'm like, what the fuck? You don't know. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that is really lucky that you had really supportive friends in your early days that just really, um, zeroed in on your experience and were supportive and took you to yoga and like did different things because goodness, I know that so many people 
really feel so isolated and so alone in early sobriety and feel like they don't have anybody. Hurtful. Yeah. It's um, harder. Like your husband supported you. I don't think my husband wanted me to completely stop drinking. He thought I was like overreacting. He just wanted me to be a regular drinker, yeah. you know, but he'd seen me do shit like this before. He wasn't going to underline me. You know what I mean? He was like, all right. I mean, he also didn't like it when I decided I was going to like not eat carbs and like served him nothing but salmon and asparagus and told him not <laughs> shit home that he liked, but he did it. Right. You're just like, Oh God, this again. And he was like, this isn't going to last like a month from now. You're going to be like, dude, bring me donuts. <laughs> yeah. But then he was like, okay, he probably started to see the benefits of not drinking. And that's so many husbands are like that because they're like, I don't want my drinking buddy to change or like, I don't want, you know, it's like, they don't understand it. That was my, my husband never ever saw sobriety as an option. He just was like, be a normal drinker. Like, why can't you just have one? Like, I don't get it. You know, because he was the kind of person that would just have one. He never understood like what the point of me getting so drunk was. And he didn't understand that it was like not possible for me to just stop at one he thought I was choosing that. He just never understood the addiction piece of it until I stopped and I forced him to do all this reading and listen to podcasts. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, yes, he was supportive, but it, it took a little bit to get there. You know, um, it wasn't automatic. Um, but I think deep down, yes, he, he, he knew that nothing good was going to come from the road I was on. Um, but you know, in terms of just as we before we jump in, have you had your husband on your podcast? Yes, a couple okay. times. Yeah, a couple times. Was that? that was great. Um, I, I actually that's a really good. I want to interview him again this season because um, I interviewed him. He was like the third episode, I want to say, and it was really good. And then I had him like a year later. So it's been in and his relationship with alcohol has changed in. Okay these over that time so that's been really cool and so now he like barely drinks at all so yeah i should interview him again i've also yeah. interviewed kids on here stop it really oh my gosh yes i just interviewed my nine-year-old daughter um like last month oh my god it's so interesting to hear from them especially since i stopped drinking when she was six and now she's nine and she's still it's really cool to hear from her what she remembers and how it's affected her and changed her and and how she thinks of me now. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep. It is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. 
And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. I, I, okay, you are way braver than me. Like my 15-year-old son was eight when I quit. I think I took a year off when he was five, but I took four months off and then I got pregnant. And he knows, obviously, right? We're open about quitting drinking. I've been a sober coach. I have a podcast. You know, he and, and his dad got me like a thousand little marbles and like left it on the kitchen table with a card when I hit a thousand days. So but I'm scared to interview him. And also he's 15 and he's a boy and he yeah. doesn't like talk about his feelings very much. So I think he'd be very uncomfortable. My daughter would be like, oh my God, how much airtime do I have? How much can I talk? Yeah. But she's nine. But she also was two when I quit drinking. I don't think she'd remember anything. No, um, no, she wouldn't. But um, yeah, my son is almost 13 and... Yeah, similar. I've had him on here too a couple times. He, they all love the airtime. First of all, yes. Oh, um, really? Yeah. My well, my middle guy is a little more shy, so he doesn't love it. But the oldest, the twelve-year-old, almost thirteen, he does. He likes it. So I've always been, yeah, since the beginning, very open and honest with them. And I think that. It's, it is, I don't know, for me, it's, it's part of the journey and part of my journey is talking with them. I think that I had so much shame with what I, what happened with me in terms of my parenting and, um, you know, things that I did as a mom that it was really cathartic for me to, um, talk about. Your son was 10 when you stopped drinking-ish? Yeah, nine-ish. Yeah. So I had to, so it was during COVID and um, he would, they were in school part-time, like one week on, one week off. So, or like one week at home, one week at school. And when I quit, my husband actually um, petitioned to have them put into school full-time so I could um, focus on my recovery, wow. go to meetings every day online because I like, I was like two weeks in and I just had a complete breakdown, like sobbing on the kitchen floor um, in front of them. I think like one of them spilled the milk and I just like lost <laughs> And my husband was, he was going into the office because he was deemed an essential worker. He was working in, um, whatever biotech. And so he wasn't home and the kids were home and and he was like, all right, we're going to get them in school full time. So anyways, long story short, we got them to go to school every day. And, um, but my oldest was like, why, why are we in school every day? I thought we were home one week back one week. So we had to tell him and we talked to him about it. So he knew very early on. He's a really perceptive, um, very like intuitive kid. So yeah, like we were talking about it with them from very early. All right. Maybe I'll ask my son if he wants to be on it and see what he says. But I was also terrified to have my husband on. I think I waited till like episode 70 
I've got to look back. And he kept asking, like, dude, are you going to have me on? And I kept putting him off. I was like, oh, yeah, someday I've got I've got a stack of episodes. And <laughs> I was afraid of what he would say. Like, I am not sure I would want to hear what he remembered or what he thought. You know, I just, he was super, I mean, we have a really good marriage, but there are things I'm like, I don't know. And he was much, much kinder than I thought he might, or I feared he would be. And that was very, it was good. I'm glad I finally had the discussion with him. I probably should have had it earlier, but, you know, he was super honest. He, he was kind and, and it wasn't, you know, in terms of shame, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was maybe, or I feared it would be. All right, friends. So friends drifted yeah. apart. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, friends drifted apart. I did have, um, the friend that told me she liked the sober version of me. She actually ended up stopping drinking, um, within a few months after I did. So we sort of walked that road together, which was really cool. Um, she's the one that started the podcast with me. Um, she has since stopped and now Ketsia is my co-host, but, um, Catherine is her name. She lives in my town and she became a mindset coach. So she is no longer on the podcast, but she was, um, yeah, walking this journey with me. And that really helped. Um, just having one person that was sort of knowing what you were going through, even though I very early on felt like, you know, from day one, I felt so alone and isolated and like nobody knew what it was like to get sober. Certainly because, you know, I Googled very early, like I want to say day one, I Googled sober in the suburbs of Boston. And didn't. that's so perfect that you have that group now. Yeah. Well, that's why I named it that. So, um, there were some AA meetings in, um, the couple towns over and, they weren't meeting in person because it was COVID. So I ended up joining the luckiest club and sober mom squad, you know, so helpful in those early days. I, I think I, you know, was a member for four or six months and that's what really got me through that. But blogging and writing and, you know, what led to my book was really um, cathartic and ther- therapeutic and, you know, but still, I, I didn't have a ton of in-person sober friends. I didn't, you know, in the, the suburbs of Boston, in Needham, nobody, so, nobody. Like now that you've started the group, have you found way more sober people? Yes. Now, after I published my book, I had, um, I started to meet a lot of people and people started to come to me, a lot of sober, curious people. And, you know, there, I've met other, eventually, obviously met other people near Boston and, um, you know, through the Instagram community, but in my very specific town and surrounding towns, yeah, people eventually started to come to me and I was going on walks and coffee dates and all these, you know, things. And I was like, all right, I need to bring all these people together because no, everyone's coming to me saying the same thing. I, I don't have any friends. I don't. I'm the only one in my friend group that's that's sober or that stopped drinking. And so it was the same story you know, over and over again, similar to my story, you know, in that we all live in these towns that are so focused on heavy drinking, you know, pouring the bottle of wine in the Yeti and heading to your son's soccer game on a Friday night, that kind of scene and feeling so overwhelmed by it and not knowing anybody in their corner. So I started sober in the suburbs. It's it's uh, basically just like a sobriety social club. 
And, you know, started this past spring. It's really grown to hundreds of members all over Massachusetts in the North Shore of Mass, South Shore, Central, Northern Mass. And now we've expanded some chapters to Fairfield County, Connecticut and DC and Austin, Texas. And it's cool. It's just, it. And so you get together in person or you have online meetings? So there are so many online Zoom meeting type things, which I think people really feel comfortable with because it's behind a screen and there are so many options, right? But what I found that people needed and what I wanted was that in-person connection. So that's what this is. It's in-person. It's going for walks. It's meeting for yoga. It's meeting for a bar class, um, getting together for coffee and going out to dinner. I love that because I don't want to necessarily sit in a circle and share in a circle. And that's exactly what it is. So it's, yeah. it's not forcing you to talk about your sobriety. It's going out and being social and doing all the things you used to do as a normal human before you stop drinking. You're just doing it without alcohol. So yeah. it doesn't have to feel like you're forcing, being forced to talk about your sobriety. You're just going and doing normal stuff just yeah. without alcohol. Going out to dinner with a group of like-minded individuals, there's just Ooh, no... all get it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Some people, they, they end up talking about their sobriety just because, of, you know, but there's also really deep conversations and people that uh, the connections that are made are incredible. Um, we have a, a monthly speaker series. So last night we had a, um, somebody talk about breaking um, bad habits and creating more mindful, better habits for yourself. Um, we have, we just, we have really cool wellness events every month that get people out of the house. That's super cool. And um, I actually had that organically. I was so lucky in early sobriety, like literally at 60 days. So I was a member of an online group. Lots of people are sort of in those and met this woman, Ingrid, that seven and a half years later is still my sober bestie. And she was just barely sober. Our sobriety dates are two months apart. And so she was like in the first couple of days, I was two months along and she lived in Seattle and she worked in tech and um, she didn't have kids, but we both like went to boarding school in Connecticut, like had waspy moms. Like we had a million things in common. <laughs> and I have so many episodes. My mother doesn't listen to them anymore. So thank God. <laughs> um, so we basically um, met in person for the first time and hit it off. And you know, when you transition from the like online friend to like, oh my God, I'm actually texting you. And I don't know if like the texting friends are a different level. Oh yeah. And you're scared the first time you text them. You're like, dude, I don't know. Friendships as adults are funny, but we became really good friends. And she was, I actually did an episode like episode six or seven. So I'll link to it about finding friends in sobriety. And so she would do what you did, but just organically. She was super social. So she started hosting these dinner parties with all sober women, like Saturday night, downtown Seattle, overlooking the sound and the great wheel. It was like way more exciting and fancy than my life at home in the suburbs with my two kids. And 
So we would all go there and she, like one of the women was a stand up comedian and one of the, it, Christy Coulter came who just wrote exit interview, like which was covered on the front page of the New York Times and wrote a sobriety uh, memoir. Nothing good can come for this. But this was when she was just working at Amazon. Yeah. And they were like, I mean, it was, we would get together when someone had a sobriety anniversary, like six months, seven months, and she would bring tiaras. And really? like, I mean, it was just literally the coolest thing ever. But yeah, we didn't sit around being like, oh my God, this is what happened before I quit drinking. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We literally were like fucking wearing tiaras and eating apps and like, you know, trying every mocktail. And it was so good for us. Yeah. I love that. I love the tiaras. Oh my God, I'm going to do that. Um, Yeah, no, it's amazing. I have just planned a wellness retreat in Mexico um, for the group and anybody really can join. Yeah, it's, it's so exciting. And to know that there's a, there is just such a need. People want to still do the same things they did before and showing them that you can and that we still, yeah, can have fun. Well, cause, but that was like, right. One of our biggest concerns, like back to what you were saying before, can I still go and, you know, do the fun things I used to do? Can I go to Whistler and go to that um, ski weekend and am I going to be fun? You know, this is basically like, it gives them that opportunity to like dip their toe in. This is a group of women that aren't going to pressure you to drink or men because it's actually men and women. This is a group of people that you can come out with. What's that? You have men in your group too? Yeah. yeah. Um, Oh, and it's like, come bring your spouse who's like a drinker if they want and expose them to a situation with people, you know, non-drinking scene, like something you can come do together. Because I've had people say, oh, I go to my AA meetings, but my spouse isn't allowed to come. So this is great because this is something where I can bring my spouse and we can do it together. And so they'll come to these speaker, these wellness speaker events and you know, I had some a man say, oh, I can bring my wife to this. This is so nice. So she came and they attended it together and they said, you know, they thanked me at the end. They're like, this is so cool because this is something now we can go talk about together. And she's like, I've never been involved in his sobriety before. Like, I'm so happy to finally find something that we can do together. Um, so yeah, that's cool. I just totally went off topic, but, um, no, no, that's very cool. And we also like, I love that more of these things are popping up. I was in Seattle and was a member of the She Recovers group right when it started. Like literally Seattle was their first chapter. I found it because I met someone else online who had been up to their retreats on Salt Spring Island, BC, which you can drive from Seattle to get there. And it was this yoga retreat with like sound baths and all the amazing food. And with Ingrid, we slept in a yurt together. Like it was just awesome. So I encourage anyone listening to this. I know it's scary. I was terrified to even ask my husband to go to my first sober retreat because I didn't do vacations without the family, you know, except for weekends and Whistler drinking heavily. And he was like, you're going to a sober retreat? Like, you know, they're scared whenever you do something new. It was so cool. It felt like summer camp and like I was 17 years old anymore and I got all the tingles. But I also met a lot of people that 
truly our friends and it is a game changer in alcohol-free life. So I encourage, I mean, obviously if you live anywhere in Massachusetts, look up Kim, we'll link it. That sounds amazing. I wish I lived closer in Seattle. We've got a really strong group of, so, I mean, there's so many cool sober women. And by the way, I met them one by one by one, like it's sort of like, Oh, I know this girl. I know this person. And the She Recovers group got really close and we just, we have brunches, we get together for book signings, you know, and I don't know about you, but like one of my favorite sounds in the entire world when I was a kid or when I was drinking is like this full house or full room of everybody talking and all the drinks, you know, like just the glasses and I just, it sounds so happy. It just fills me up. And you can still have that. Like my friend Ingrid's brunches, they're like 30 women there talking. Like it's so loud and there's so many voices and there's such good food. And we make like groovy, um, no seco, 0.0 Prosecco. We make mimosas. Like you can have it. You I, just I, have I, to like I, be brave. That no secco last night, the groovy, they sent me some. It is so good. It tastes like. Oh my like- God. The first time I had it, first knowing me I had three because edit 0.0 like I feel zero guilt about this but I had to check the bottle three times to make sure it was non-alcoholic because I was like holy shit this tastes the same yeah it's so good you meet your people online you you met them you went to TLC you went to sober mom squad and then how do you meet people in person hi there If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings, or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course.
They started to contact me, the local people. Because you wrote a book. Because you wrote a book. I wrote my book and um, yeah, just through Instagram um, after reading my book. Yeah. People started to say, and that was ultimately why I wrote my book because I was like, I don't want people to feel so alone. Like I did. I felt so totally alone and people would read my book and say, Oh my God, like your story is exactly like my story. And then I'd say, and they're like, if you ever want to, you know, I live two towns over, I would love to chat. And so like, let's go for a walk. Let's, let's grab coffee. And and then it just was so many people like that. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to do something about this. I, I need all these people to meet. And and then I, I hosted an event and posted about it on uh, our town Facebook page. And then um, the Boston Globe picked it up. And then there was an article about it in the Globe. And, um, and then it just like, it just grew. And then people started, yeah, people started to hear more about it and, yeah, it's just started building and it's really cool. It's really cool because there is a need. There is a need. There's a, there's a want. And like, um, I, I'm actually speaking at Northeastern University next uh, in two weeks. And the professor told me, um, something really powerful. He said that, um, you know, not everybody recovers the same way. And if you can provide one more way for them to recover, then great. You know, this, this may be that one Pot way that allows that person to stay sober and you know and you do need other people who get it like for sure I didn't lose my group of friends I was very lucky I did stop going out with work coworkers, and I remember very vividly they were like going out for happy hour drinks downtown and I said to my husband I was like I don't even like hanging out with them drugs so why the hell would I do it sober like you know I mean not that they're bad people but like whatever. I didn't have interest with them. What, you know, it just wasn't my jam. We were only together because we worked together. They were very nice, but I supplemented, like I kept my friends and then I added a whole new group of friends. What was amazing to me is I looked at my Facebook friends when I hit a year sober and I, you know how they tell you how many friends you make, they send you a recap or whatever. I made more friends and by the way, online friends, they are friends. I don't care what, you know, whatever, like, you know them. Um, I made more friends in my first year of sobriety than I had in the previous four years of me drinking, which yeah. is incredible. I just, I just, my social circle did not grow when I was drinking, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one last thought, though, but I think that the people that stand by you and continue to support you and continue to check on you and um, ask you how you're doing when you go silent or kind of retreat within yourself, those people that stick around, those are the real friends. You know, I think they care. And those people that really do love you, you know, they will, you know, they'll come back and they will be there for you in the end, even if it if it is hard and they have to take a little step back from the friendship because they have their own struggles, then that might be the case. But I think that if a a friendship is real and and genuine, they will be there for you in the end. You know, I do truly believe that. What's that phrase? Like there are friendships for a season and whatever, you know, that whole thing. Like I do think that there are many friendships in my life that have come into it to teach me things. I also think there are friends that have been, that will be around in my life forever. So I think, I think the other thing I would say in terms of giving people the benefit of the doubt, sometimes 
people who genuinely care about you don't know what to say. Oh, like, yeah. I, they don't want to bother you. They don't know what, I mean, I had a friend whose husband died suddenly. I had no idea what, I mean, of course I was reached out and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry and X, Y, Z and, you know, but then I didn't know how to talk to her. She lived across the country, right? And we did start talking again and it was like seven months later and she was like, you know, what's crazy. I went to work after a period of time off. Nobody mentioned it to me. Like nobody. I was in meetings. I was in, saw people, they were like, how are you doing? She's like, no one said my husband's name. And that's crazy, but you don't know what to say sometimes. Yeah. That is such a good point. I, I just gave a, a talk um, with the Karen Treatment Center on this exact top subject and somebody brought that up. And I thank you for reminding me because that is one of the biggest points is that people are so uncomfortable with the topic that they don't know how to bring it up to you. They don't know... Um, what they can say to you about it. So they just avoid it altogether. Right. Um, I remember that I had family visiting and they were here for three days and they didn't. And I was like a year sober posting about it, had a, you know, blog that was read by so many people and they didn't say anything. And they left. And I said to my husband, I, I don't understand why they didn't say anything. I, I can't believe it. And I was, so, and I'm so public with my sobriety. I just want to talk about it with everybody. And my husband said, well, they didn't know probably how to bring it up. They're probably so uncomfortable. You are so public in with it and you are so out in the open with it, but they, you forget how private some people are yeah. and you forget that not everybody wants to talk about their feelings all the time, 24 seven. Not everybody is comfortable sharing the way you are and not everybody knows how to broach the subject. Um, and they don't want to say anything wrong. Yes, exactly. I mean, honestly, people say shit and you're like, you're a fucking idiot. So they're not wrong that they might say something that makes you think they're a fucking idiot. Right. 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 Exactly. Um, and you almost, and then there are friends that you do see on a regular basis that don't bring it up. Right. Um, and you almost have to like teach them and train them. Right. Like you have to say, you can drink in front of me. It's okay. I had a friend say to me once that she had been avoiding me at our pool at our club and she kept sitting like way across from me. And then finally, after like a like the end of the summer, I was like, why have you been avoiding me all summer? She's like, well, because every time I order a drink at the bar, I, I was scared to be near you because I thought it would make you relapse. It's like, yeah. okay, well, you could have said something to me. I, I'm not going to grab the like beer out of your hand and start chugging it just because like you're drinking near me. Like I'm, that's not going to make me relapse. But also like I would have appreciated if you had confided in me that this, it makes you uncomfortable to drink around me. I'm fine. So it's almost like you have to explain to your friends your level of comfort with their drinking. Yeah. And it's possible someone early on wouldn't want to be near someone mm -hmm. drinking. Like, it is hard for people to know what to do or what to say. And so I think just like giving them somewhat the benefit of the doubt, like assuming positive intent, even if they're not doing what you want to do can help, right? We are always so worried that people are judging us. And yeah. my favorite quote that I lit, I mean, I'm a people pleaser, and I want everyone to like me at all times. But I had to put quotes up on my wall to like internalize things. And it said, stop worrying about what other people think of you. Most people don't even know what they think of themselves. And I was just like, yeah, you know, I need to write that down. That is so true. I need to tell my daughter that my nine year old. 
I mean, that goes right back to what I was saying that kept me stuck in my drinking cycle, right? Like so concerned about what people thought of me. And yeah, I mean, it's true. It's so true. You know what else is interesting is you are totally like, even if you don't know people in the beginning who don't drink one, make the effort to find them. There are online groups, you know, even in the big online groups, you can be like, Hey, here's who I am. Here's what's going on in my life. I'm four months sober. Does anyone live in this area? Like, yeah, you kind of have to tell people a little bit about yourself so they can self-identify and be like, oh, she's like me. So be brave, join groups where you might meet people. I know it's scary. Do it anyway. But also just be patient because you know what's interesting? In my group of 12, three of us have quit drinking, you know, and we were like, it's kind of crazy. One quit drinking through AA three years before I did. We originally stopped at the same time. We were both four months sober and had not talked to each other about it. Like one of our good friends in the group of 12 was like, because we were friends, we were in the group of friends, but we weren't like one-on-one confidant friends. We had different within the group. And they were like, you guys need to, you know, you need to talk to this person because she quit drinking too. She took the AA route. It was 10 and a half years ago. There was very little else. And she got really into it, still sober. And then I was afraid when I went back to drinking to talk to her at all because I was afraid she'd judge me. I was afraid she wouldn't like me, like whatever. But when I got a month sober, I reached out to her again. Now, separately, the third person in our group drank for many more years and ended up having to go to the hospital for medical detox because her organs were failing. Wow. It's you know, and she probably drank for four or five more years than we did. So, and of course we lost touch a, cause I was sober, but also cause she stopped attending things like that was her stopping attending things that even I was doing, um, with friends, but I was very out and sober at the time. All my friends knew it. So, and then there still are people who don't get it. Like her sister told me, Oh yeah, we have dinner twice a week. And I still drink wine around her and she's totally cool with it. And and this was early in her sobriety. And I was like, don't do that. Like she was hospitalized because she was an inpatient. Like, I don't care if she said she's cool. You can go a night without drinking. Like you can have dinner without alcohol, you know? And so people don't get it either way. But the other thing I'm going to say, just interesting Someone contacted me online. I played rugby with. She's now like four or five years sober. One of my big drinking friends from one of my previous jobs is now five years sober. She six. She contacted me when I was a year sober telling me she was stopping drinking. Like people you used to drink with a lot, like they might be struggling too. You might inspire. They may reach out and then you connect with them on an entirely new level. So true. Like have compassion for the friends that may not seem like they're there for you in your early sobriety and that seem like they're struggling or whatever, because yeah, you just, you never know where someone is. You never know what's going on with, with the people in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I know we talked for a long time, but I, 
I do think this is a really important topic. And I love that we had different experiences. But trust me, anyone listening, it's going to be okay. You're going to yeah. be. You're going to be okay. And it is always, yeah, improving and changing. And just like sobriety, like things are always just only getting better, I would say, you know? So thank right. you so thank much you. for having I me. I love talking to you. So. I love talking to you. So thank you, Casey, so much. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more.